Have you ever noticed that some of the most creative people in the world sometimes get so engrossed in their work that they seem completely oblivious to the chaos in which they live? Anybody know someone like that? I had a friend who he used to work in, in, in a job with me, and his job revolved around teaching children and young people. And he was always looking for object lessons, ways of kind of helping them understand a particular truth or a particular story. And so as a result of his need for props for these object lessons, his office was absolutely littered with all kinds of random objects that seemed to have no connection to one another. I mean, it, it, was, it was quite an experience. What do uh, maybe sporting equipment, an encyclopedia, a toolbox, a newspaper from 1994 all have in common? Well, I'll tell you what they have in common. They were in his office, <laughs> along with everything else that was ever lost in the Bermuda Triangle, I think. <laughs> it was chaos, absolute chaos. And some people really struggled to kind of take him seriously, to view him as a professional, because he seemed absolutely unable to keep his environment tidy and in some kind of orderly fashion. But the fact of the matter was, he was really good at his job. The kids loved him, they learned loads from him, and anyone who ever managed to actually find him in his office also learned lots from him. He was a really deep guy. He was just one of those guys that, that somehow managed to dwell in the midst of chaos. My name's Rob, by the way, I'm one of the ministers here, and I've been reflecting on how my friend's lack of tidiness is kind of a great picture of how God can be at work in a world that sometimes seems so messy, doesn't it? It just seems chaotic. Sometimes the human experience seems to be much more marked by chaos than by any kind of discernible pattern or activity on God's behalf. Sometimes things happen in this life that we sit there and we think, where is God in all of this? I mean, where is God when, when, young, when young children die or when the poor or the afflicted suffer alone? Where is he in that chaos? Perhaps you've asked a similar question at some point in your life. Maybe you've experienced a really cruel bereavement yourself. Or maybe you've experienced an illness that maybe is not curable. It might not be fatal, but, but it's really unpleasant. Maybe in your desperation, somebody offered you some kind of treatment outside of the normal bounds of the NHS, perhaps. And, and you know, for just a few pounds, you can have peace of mind. And maybe you believed them. And maybe they were well-meaning, or maybe they were a charlatan. But one way or another, you got left at the end of it, out of pocket, and with less answers than you would have liked. Maybe the world felt a little bit crueler at that moment than it had even before. And maybe it's not just you, maybe it's somebody else that you've witnessed, the injustice that you witness in the world around you that's left you with doubts about the existence of God. Maybe you, you, you're asking those, those, those age-old questions of where is God in the, in the chaos? And I want to suggest to you today that that question's actually been answered for us but the reality is that we find it really hard to process the answer. Because particularly here in the West, our Western mindset, our default Western worldview, cannot conceive of how a good creator God could possibly be believed to be accessible to us in a world that is as chaotic as the one that we live in now. And I think sometimes as Westerners, we think of God as if he has some kind of compulsive nature, that he can only tolerate order that he can only operate in some kind of sterile environment where nothing is broken or impure or, or just wrong. People say things like, if God is almighty, he could not possibly allow all of this chaos because 
he has the power to stop it. Therefore, he would, right? People say, if God is good, he could not possibly tolerate any suffering or injustice, even for a moment. People say, in a world of chaos and suffering and injustice, God must either be absent, far away, or non-existent. Because that's the only thing that makes sense to us sometimes in the chaos. We just can't see how God could operate in it. But I want to challenge those assumptions today because I think they come from a very limited concept of God, a very small, narrow box that fits our Western worldview, a box that people all over the world haven't created for God and have found him in the midst of their chaos. I want to ask you, if God is almighty, why can't he have the resolve to restrain himself from immediately solving every crisis? If God is good and loving and merciful, why can't he show some tolerance and mercy to those who break his laws and do the things that we find despicable? Why do we assume that a loving and just God could only dwell in a sterile and ordered environment when his children, you and I, live in chaos every day? You see, I know that as I say these words, some of you are already struggling with what I'm saying. You're already struggling to, to comprehend how I could suggest that the presence of God could actually be experienced in the midst of the chaos that you have lived through or you have witnessed. And I can understand that feeling. I can understand it because I think it's an age-old question. It's not just Westerners who wonder where God is in the chaos. People have asked it in every culture and every place for thousands of years, even people in the Middle East who listened to Jesus and followed him around, struggled with what on earth he was trying to tell them about God. And they found it completely astonishing. One of Jesus' earliest disciples, a disciple by the name of Mark, wrote an account of his life and his ministry and his teaching. And in it, we find a story of Jesus who one day was really walking through a really, really chaotic situation. It's found in chapter 5 of Mark's gospel. And I'm going to be reading from verse 21 onwards as we begin to explore what this might have to say to us about God being in chaos. Mark chapter 5 from verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now let's just start off. The scene is immediately quite chaotic. There are vast numbers of people seeking Jesus because he's been going about doing miracles. And when you go about doing miracles, people come to see them, right? So people kind of flocked. He'd been feeding people. He'd been casting out demons. He'd been doing all of these incredible things. And he crosses the lake in a boat to avoid the crowds at the place where he's just been working. He gets to the other side. Guess what? There's another crowd. There's another crowd just waiting for him to do something to amaze him. So it's already quite chaotic. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. You can tell the scene is already getting much more chaotic. There's an influential father who feels desperate, like he has no more influence in the world. And all he wants is somebody to help his little daughter. But then things get even worse. One person's sudden and unexpected emergency gets interrupted by another person's desperate, ongoing health problem. We read, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You can imagine just how desperate she must have been after 12 years of failed cures. No cure for this ongoing menstrual trouble that, that created an environment in which she was an outcast. Because she would have been ceremonially unclean, she would not have been able to go into the places that people enjoyed going to worship. She wouldn't have been able to go into the tabernacle or the, tent, the temple. She wouldn't have been able to go to the synagogue where Jairus was a leader because she would have been on the fringes of society. And so what might be considered an embarrassing medical problem for us in our mindset was much worse than that for her. She lived in a day and age where you couldn't just live a normal life with that particular problem. And it was incurable. She would have been pushed to the fringes of the religious society. And she would have looked at this Jesus character as an interesting person walking about doing his ministry. And maybe as the only source of hope that she had left. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had come out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around for who had done it. Let's just pause for a second and just re-examine the chaos of the situation for a moment. It's crowded, really crowded. They're on their way to an emergency. A young girl is dying and her religious father is beside himself with worry. Then a second character appears, a desperate woman, an outcast who is so desperate that she sneaks up behind Jesus and touches his cloak. And she gets healed instantly. But then the whole procession stops and Jesus is, is asking the question, who touched me? Nobody in the crowd probably even noticed what had just happened. Here was a lady being healed in their midst, but she was probably completely lost in the chaos. People didn't realize what was happening before them, except Jesus did. And so Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? What a weird question when you're being mobbed by a crowd. No one his disciples were like, he's losing it. He's losing it. How can you ask who touched me in a crowd this big? This is crazy. Why would you even stop? We're on our way to a really, really serious medical emergency here, Jesus. Come on. What are you doing? But Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And he just waits and waits until eventually the woman comes forward. We're told then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And here's where the shock factor hits the disciples. Now they understand why it is that Jesus stopped. Because he had been touched by someone who was ceremonially unclean. Someone had the audacity to sneak up behind him and touch him without his permission. And now he was tainted by this woman, this outcast. Everyone was shocked. Everyone was wondering what on earth is going on. And then surely her embarrassment level must have gone through the roof as everyone stared. But remember, she knew she'd just been healed. And they're all sitting there trying to make sense of the chaos of the situation. And then Jesus says something absolutely shocking to them. He says to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
You see, right in the middle of the chaos, God had suddenly been experienced. The faith of an outcast had been recognized, and she had been healed and treated like a daughter, just as much a daughter as this religious leader's daughter who was dying far away. She had been given dignity and meaning in the midst of a crowd that thought she was the problem. God had acted on her behalf in that chaos. But the scene was about to get even more chaotic, even more cruel than you think it already has been. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? You see, one woman's chronic illness had actually delayed the healing of another young girl. And she died as a result of the delay. Right in the middle of this chaos, just when you think things are turning and looking like they might be going okay, we have yet another tragedy. Imagine an ambulance on its way to an emergency situation. And imagine that ambulance gets caught up in a really horrible traffic accident. And while they're kind of stuck in it, the paramedics are able to treat a young lady who's clearly got some injuries, and so they stem the bleeding of her injuries. But the crowd look on as they realize she's probably the one who caused the accident. And then while they're caught up there and can't get to the original patient, the original patient dies. And they're told, you can turn around and go back to the ambulance station. You're not needed anymore. That's kind of a modern day example, similar to the situation that the crowd witnessed on this day thousands of years ago in Jesus' ministry. They must have been just trying to wrap their heads around all of the chaos that was going on. And then Jesus announces the most absurd thing. One of those things that makes you think, who is this guy? What the heck is he on about? He says this. He says, overhearing them come to Jairus and say, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. The young girl had already died. Maybe this tragedy could have been prevented if Jesus had intervened in a timely manner. But he was absent. He was distracted. He was busy elsewhere, people thought. And now he asked people to still trust God who had let this happen? Why? Because one strange lady said she'd had an encounter with God? One strange lady in the crowd that nobody knew suddenly had an experience of God and everyone was supposed to say, okay, everything will be fine. This is utter chaos. How can he say such an absurd thing? And I'm pretty sure it was just too much for some of the people in the crowd to handle. It was just too much for them to stomach. Mark tells us that from this point onward, Jesus did not let anyone else follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Why? Well, probably because Jesus wasn't really in the habit of doing miracles for people who didn't believe, who didn't have any faith at all, who wouldn't actually acknowledge the miracle when it happened before them because they'd find another reason to explain it away. He wasn't in that habit. And if we're honest, a lot of us probably would have struggled to hold on to our faith in that situation. We would have said to ourselves, it doesn't make sense. Why did God allow this child to die? It's a question that resonates deep in our soul and says something is wrong here. This is chaos. God cannot possibly be in this situation. It doesn't fit our worldview, which insists that an almighty and a good God would be compelled to prevent such a tragedy. 
And the healing of a ceremonial, ceremonially unclean woman wouldn't have fitted with any of the religious worldview that the Jewish people had at the time either. Because God was not supposed to operate in impure environments. That's why people were kept out of the temple and out of the temple. How impure people were not allowed in his presence. Because that's, God keeps himself separate from all of the mess of that stuff, right? Or so they thought. Or so they believed. Or so they reasoned. And they reasoned wrong. Jesus had the audacity to say that God was still at work in the situation. In the midst of the chaos. And he called his disciples and this child's father to cling to their faith. Despite the reality of suffering and death that engulfed them at this moment. And miraculously perhaps they seemed to have actually believed that God could still work. And so... Whilst others were prevented from coming, they still followed Jesus who carried on to the house. Mark says this, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Of course they did, right? What kind of lunatic still has hope in the face of a child's death and the injustice that creates? What kind of person comes in and asks for the reason people are wailing and crying when a child has died? Maybe wailing against the injustice of the situation. Maybe wailing against God. What kind of person comes up and says, hey, why are you crying? Everything's fine. What kind of person does that? What kind of person speaks those kinds of words in a situation where a life has been taken too soon. And just as had been done earlier with the incredulous and the scoffers and those who just couldn't take it, Jesus tells them to move along. He says, don't be afraid, just believe to the crowds. And those who couldn't just made their way away. And here Mark says, he put them all out. All of those around there who were wailing and, and thought that he was a lunatic, he just put them out and he said, okay, you just, you just wait out there. And he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them. And they went into where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to imagine what it would be like to actually witness someone being raised from the dead. And I'm a person of faith. I do this for a living. I tell people to have faith. But I would have been utterly astonished if I'd seen that. Because it's not something I've ever seen. I take great comfort from the fact that Jesus' closest disciples and a religious teacher at the top of his game. They were all completely astonished by what God had done in that moment through Jesus. But I want to suggest that perhaps even more astonishing than God being able to raise the dead is the idea that he was present throughout this whole story, right in the chaos. That God was enduring the human experience in all of its fullness alongside us, in the person of Jesus, who was touched by a bleeding woman and was healed, who, was touched, who touched a dead girl and brought her back to life. It's astonishing because God doesn't always heal everyone, does he? We need to be honest about that. We need to be honest about the fact that this woman who was healed had not been healed for 12 years. 
That sometimes people suffer in this world in the chaos that seems to make no sense. And yet Jesus is saying God is in that. In the midst of that chaos, God is still at work. He's not absent. He's not distant. He's not reserved. He's not far away. That somehow in ways that we don't understand, he is still in that situation. And he feels the pain of those people. And he sees the pain of those others have pushed to the sides of their community and seem disregarded. Maybe the poor or the marginalized or those who others just don't think are good enough to hang around. He sees them, he notices them, and he treats them as his children with just as much dignity as those who are at the top of the social ladder. But we struggle to understand that. We struggle to understand how God can walk in a world that seems so chaotic and painful and be present in the midst of it. And yet that's exactly what the New Testament writers are trying to tell us about God when they said that's exactly what Jesus did. He walked in the middle of the mess. He revealed the presence and the activity of God in the midst of chaos. I've known this for years through personal experience, but I am still astonished by what God does in the present and the active chaos in our lives and in the lives of people that I know. I'm still astonished that he is walking with the hurting, the marginalized, the persecuted, the oppressed, the helpless, and the hopeless. He's not unconcerned or absent. He feels it himself. He chose to take on human flesh and feel it. Instead of just rectifying everything, he went a step further, an absurd step further, and he said, I'll feel it myself. I'll walk with you so that you know that when you go through the chaos of this life, you are never alone. Never. God understands because he's there. And whatever you're facing right now, whatever it is, whatever the chaos in your life might look like, God is there right in the middle of it. Wherever you are, God is with you. And maybe it doesn't feel like it. I don't blame you if it doesn't feel like it. We all struggle with it. But if there's one thing about God that Jesus revealed is that he's not afraid to get involved in the mess and the muck of our life. Even if that mess was self-created. Even if we were the ones at fault, he'd still be there in the midst of that saying, I'm still with you. And that's, that's truly astonishing. And I just want to say to you this morning, if you're, if you're asking the question, where is God right now? He's right there with you. Whatever it is that you're looking on and saying, where is God in this situation? He's in that situation. He's right there. And we might not understand why he chooses to put himself there. Why he doesn't choose to just make that situation go away. And the reality of this world tells us that that's just not what he does every time. But Jesus tells us he's there, he's in it. He's bringing comfort in the midst of pain and chaos and suffering. And I have one simple message for you this morning. Whatever you are going through, whatever you will go through, whatever your life throws at you, or anyone that you know, or anyone that you love, God is still with you in the midst of that chaos. Jesus came to be God with us, Emmanuel, in a world that was just as fractured and broken as ours. And he will never let us go. Jesus is God working in the chaos. God for all people. God with us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us alone. Uh, sometimes it just feels so lonely in this world. And we think of people in Ukraine right now and, and how 
Lord, desperate so many of their situations are. We ask, God, how long will this go on? But Father, we thank you that you are with them, that you see, that you feel, that you know their pain, that you have experienced it along with them. Thank you for the incredible faith that we see in so many Ukrainians crying out to you in the midst of this pain. I pray for the same here. I pray for people that are going through such difficult circumstances. This life can be chaotic and cruel. But more than anything else, I pray they might know your presence in the midst of the chaos. Because it is when you are with us that somehow we can sense that even in the midst of the storm, things will be okay. Because you are here. You are not absent. You are not disconnected. And even though we don't always understand how you work, we know that you are committed to be with us always to the very end of our existence. And so, Father, may that bring us great comfort as we know your love and how far you would go to show it to us. And may it slowly speak into the chaos of our lives and bring our hearts and our minds to a place of more ordered peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.